As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. This episode of the Bears Talk Underground is brought to you by Sports Drink, your digital water cooler. Sports Drink is a newly created internet community that tries to find the intersection of sports and not sports. They're here to help us grow and to hate your favorite team. A rising tide lifts all boats, so go check them out online or in social. Go to sportsdrink.org or open Instagram and type in sports drink. Spelled like sports drink, but without the vowels. So S-P-R-T-S-D-R-N-K. All we ask is that you close the door behind you. We're trying not to let out the funk. (laughs) What's up, guys? We continue our journey through the AFC East. It's episode number six out of 14. We got eight more of these bad boys to go. Uh, We finish up the AFC East next uh, episode with the Buffalo Bills. Then we move on to the AFC East and then our NFC North brethren. And we finish off, of course, with the Chicago Bears. Very much looking forward to completing uh, this journey, getting back to our friends in the NFC North, uh, Evan Western, Chris Gates, and, and Jeremy Reisman. Uh, talking to them about the the teams. And uh, every team went through some great deal of change uh, this year with the NFC North. You know, obviously Aaron Rodgers coming back, but they lose Devontae Adams and the new uh, coaching change in uh, in Minnesota, the, the, the you know, the the continuation of the change in Detroit the, with the draft and bringing in new people and so on and so forth. And obviously our, our beloved Chicago Bears, new head coach, new general manager, uh, you know, basically like 60% of a brand new roster uh, and everything. So looking forward to having those conversations uh, as well. Looking forward to our NFC East shows uh, as well. Uh, You know, the the Giants, the Eagles, the Commanders with their brand new name and their new uniforms uh, and the Cowboys, of course, uh, as well. So it's going to be an interesting, uh, we still got some very, very interesting shows left to go. But this one is uh, especially uh, enjoyable uh, for me. Pat Lane from the Patriot Nation podcast will be joining us to talk about the New England Patriots. Um, he was uh, is uh, a fan of Justin Fields. He was actually um, the preferred choice uh, for this particular Patriot fan uh, in last year's draft. He wanted Fields to fall to the uh, Patriots, but fortunately for us, unfortunately for him, uh, Ryan Pace decided to trade up and go ahead and get him at eleven. So he wasn't sitting there at 15. The Patriots, quote-unquote, settle for for Mac Jones and who ends up having probably the best rookie quarterback campaign of 2021. So um, so we talk about that. We talk about the future of the, of the team, where he thinks Mac Jones is going. And he has some very interesting thoughts on where he thought 2022 uh, was going to go. That, that I did find very interesting, actually. Um, but um, you know, I'll leave that up to uh, up to your discovery as we go through uh, this conversation. Uh, but I really enjoyed uh, talking to Pat. Looking forward to having him back on the show when uh, when the Bears and the Patriots uh, meet up. I believe it's Week Seven from Monday Night Football. 
uh, this year. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it's going to be fun. So let's go ahead and dive right into it. This is the New England Patriot preview episode of the Bears Talk Underground. So let's get to it. Hang up the telephone. I hear the dial tone. Ringing out loud Third team up in our journey through the AFC East is uh, usually the team that comes last as they always finish first in the division. But last year they were a game behind the Bills, finished in second place, still made the playoffs where, they, where you usually find the Patriots. Uh, so that the New England Patriots, obviously the team we're talking about, and here to help us preview these 2022 Patriots from the uh, Patriot Nation podcast, Pat Lane. Pat, welcome to the show, man. Larry, thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. So when uh, when we have a new guest on the show, we ask the same three questions to get started, uh, and those three questions are, uh, where are you from, where are you now, and what is your favorite moment as a fan of your particular squad? Got it. Uh, so where I where I am and where where I am now are not very different. Uh, grew up in Massachusetts um, in a small town, and I moved maybe fifteen minutes away from that small town to another small town, uh, <laughs> still in Massachusetts. So I moved a little bit closer to the stadium uh, now than I than I was before. But nice. uh, but yeah, that's you know pretty pretty easy on the outskirts of Boston. You know, about twenty minutes away from Boston, so okay. uh, close enough to everything, and right down the street from Foxborough Stadium, which is nice. So. Oh, well, Gillette Stadium at this point now. Right. Old habits. Old habits for me. Yeah. Well, there's an arena in Chicago or in the Chicago area that growing up, it was always known as the Rosemont Horizon. And you might know it today as the Allstate Arena. But for me and, you know, because if like if you watch wrestling or whatever, whenever the WWE goes to Chicago, they're at the Allstate Arena. And when I was growing up, it was always the Rosemont Horizon. So even to this day, it's the Rosemont Horizon. That's what we... That's what so we why, call it. It was never the United Center. That's a different. Place. The United Center is in the city, actually, where the Bulls and the Blackhawks play. I got it. Okay. The Rose. I don't know what they built the Rosemont Horizon. I think it was just built to be like a concert venue or whatever, because I've seen Kiss there about five times. But uh, okay. okay. But uh, yeah, so it's. Uh, but it was always the Rosemont Horizon. I always right. saw my wrestling matches there, and that's where I, you know, went and saw kiss a few times so yeah yeah okay but yeah. uh so what is your favorite moment as a fan of the patriots i'm sure you've got so, a, a few to choose from so as you can imagine i have quite a few um <laughs> and i could you know i could tell you a bunch of things the malcolm butler interception was amazing obviously sure. just like single greatest play in, in in nfl history in my opinion the winning the first super bowl was was unbelievable like a moment unlike any other yeah but I'm going to go all the way back to when I was 10 years old, 1994, a familiar foe to you guys. The Minnesota Vikings and Warren Moon were in town. Mm. Uh, I was, uh, like I said, 10. I'm there. Bloodsoe's, you know, Bloodsoe v. Warren Moon. And um, the Patriots getting killed 20 to nothing, about to go into the half. And my dad, the, the line of the kick of field goal by Matt Barr, like 40-yard field goal or something like that. And my dad turns to me and says, if they hit this field goal, they're going to win the game. And I'm like, you're insane. They're losing 20 nothing. They're playing like garbage. <laughs> and uh, they hit the field goal, and they won the game in overtime with a touchdown pass in our end zone from Bledsoe to, to Kevin Turner. And Bledsoe, in that game, set the NFL record for completions and pass attempts in the game. I think he was 45 or 70 in the game. It was outrageous. Wow. The crazier part of that game is that he had 18 attempts in the first half. 
at one point with like four minutes left to go in the second quarter, he had like nine attempts. He attempted like 61 passes from, you know, <laughs> the last five minutes of the second quarter to the end of the, to the end of overtime. It was unbelievable. And just one of those games that like, that's the one that always comes back to me that I always remember because it's just that moment that I like, I was a fan before that, but I was like a diehard fan after that game. Sure. Uh, and that sure. was kind of the, that was kind of the moment for me. So of course, you know, everyone can talk about the Super Bowl wins and everything like that, but that's one that's like special to like me and my dad. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, that's kind of the one that I'm always like, Oh, that's, that's my, like my most memorable moment at a game for sure. You know, my, my favorite moment is, is kind of a, um, a bittersweet thing. Uh, because, um, in 84, I was six years old, yep. and that was, and I was at in at the game in Soldier Field when Walter Payton broke Jim Brown's rushing record. That's so cool. The bitter part of it uh, is that I don't remember the moment that actually happened. I remember yeah. everything else. I remember being at the game. I remember it was raining outside. My dad taught me how to eat a hot dog under my poncho so it wouldn't get wet. <laughs> I remember, like, our seats were, like, right on the goal line. Sweetness did one of his patented over-the-top touchdowns right in front That's of sick. us uh, and everything. And I remember that sticking out in my head because he didn't clear the pile. He landed on top of it. I'd never seen him do that before. So cool. So it's like, I remember all that stuff. We were playing the Saints and all that kind of stuff, but I do not remember the moment he broke the record that the team charged the field and they all celebrated cameras, the whole, I don't remember cool. any of that. Probably because I'm yeah. six years old and everybody stood up, so all I'm looking at is backs and butts, but yeah, I don't probably, remember yeah. the actual moment that it happened, but I was there. So That's cool. Yeah. That's cool. All right, so let's dive in. 2021, the Patriots come in. Um, you draft uh, Mac Jones in the first round, or as some people would try to have you believe, you settled for him uh, yep. at 15 because he was the last one to come off the board right. out of the quarterbacks that were supposed to go uh, in the first round. Um, and he comes in and, you know, plays probably better than most of the, just about all of the quarterbacks. I mean, I don't know how you'd rank Trevor Lawrence. I mean, win-wise, obviously he was awful, but I think he did well. Uh, playing for the Jags, and obviously we know Justin Fields is a mick bag, and the jury is still out because Matt yeah. Nagy tried to ruin him last year uh, and yeah. all that. Trey Lance didn't play at all, and I think the only real competition that Mac Jones has for best rookie quarterback last year would be Davis Mills. But, you know, I would say out of those two, you'd have to give the title to Mac Jones and how he played and, you know, led the Patriots to a to a playoff run last year. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, it, it's funny, you know, people talk about they settled and, you know, they would have traded up if they really wanted them and all this other crap. But like, that's just a case of reading the draft, reading the draft board correctly. Like, you know, nobody moved up until it was 10 to get yeah. fields. And then, you know, you're sitting there as the Patriots and you're like, OK, well, maybe someone's going to move up. Maybe someone's going to move around. And of course, you know, what's funny is that the Jets ended up trading up to 14 to take Elijah Barrett Tucker, which was it was it. Interesting trade because it was almost like, you know, I wonder if the Jets kind of thought that the Patriots might take him, and then that's why they moved ahead. It didn't make any sense. Like, why are you moving ahead of the Patriots? They should take a quarterback here. If they had taken a guard instead of a quarterback, <laughs> New England would have lost their minds, you know right. what I mean? But um, but who knows, you know? And then, of course, they end up taking Mac at 15. And, I, and that's a guy that I think that they liked a lot. I was extremely skeptical of the pick, and the biggest reason why I was skeptical about it was – had nothing to do with reality. It was just that, you know, the best comp for him, like the best hope that we could ever have for him is a guy, he's very similar to Brady. 
And I was like, there's no way you can take two guys that are just like Brady and get even someone remotely as good as Tom Brady. And he's never going to be as good as Tom Brady because no one's going to be as good as Tom Brady. But, like, I was just like, you can't possibly make it work with another guy like this, right? <laughs> and and that was – it was just, like, complete nonsense. But that was like – it's got to be a reason why it doesn't work. So, um, you know, but it worked last year. He played extremely well. And his big thing is the cerebral part of the game comes easy to him. He sees the field extremely well. He didn't play like a rookie last year, and he had a little bit of a rookie wall, and he didn't play great at the end of the year, but and he had some games where he played very poorly, which is to be expected. But the way he read the field, the way he made his throws, I was extremely impressed with him last year, and I was 100% wrong on him. Fields was the guy I wanted. We were all clamoring for Fields. I thought Fields was the guy. Um, and so when there was a trade-up to 10, uh, a trade-up to 11. 10, right? He went 11? 11. It was a trade up to 11, and I'm sitting there saying, oh, my God, it's the Patriots, the Patriots, and it's the Bears. And I'm like, come on, it's the Bears, you know. So uh, it was it was one of those things where we're all sitting there hoping for Fields, and then, of course, Fields goes to you guys. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's kind of funny, and I'm looking forward to this year a lot because I think we're going to see Justin Fields. I mean, we're going to see a better version of Justin Fields than we saw last year, for God's sakes. I and so, so yeah. you, know, you know, I'm hoping that we can see a little bit more from him now were there questions about, you know, the read, you know, I'm sure you, you've talked about this ad nauseum on your, mm-hmm. on your podcast about, you know, you know, first, first reads and having trouble getting through his progressions and all that other stuff. But like, when you talk about the accuracy and the, and the decision-making, you know, at times the decision-making, the speed and the explosiveness from him, man, he's just, he's a guy that I loved and, you know, coming out of school. And so, uh, I'm, I'm, it, I, I feel good about him. For the Bears, I do, I do, but I feel better about Mac. Mac's just—I don't know how you couldn't look at Mac last year and say he was the best rookie quarterback. And it wasn't really close, yeah. you know. It wasn't really close to me. And right. like you said, Davis Mills was second on the list. I mean, that's—and again, like it's not fair to judge, you know, Fields. Certainly not fair to judge Trevor Lawrence off what happened last year. So, like, you know, we'll kind of see as the next few years go, go through. But mm-hmm. man, last year you see him, and you're like, if he can just progress, keep progressing the way he is, like. That's he looked pretty damn good last year. Yeah, for sure. Um, what I'm optimistic about with Justin Fields was that um, it seemed like the the best plays that Fields made last year was when he was making it up as he went along because Nagy tried to put an offense around him that was made for Andy Dalton, quick reads, right. get the ball out fast. That's not what he did. He spent his entire college career with 12 seconds to throw the ball because he was right. throwing 80 yard passes to Chris Olave all, all you know all the time so right. you know he had the best offensive lineman in the Big Ten in front of him he had all the time in the world to throw the ball so reading the field and making you know quick reads that wasn't what he did at Ohio State that's what he need, that's what he needed to work on obviously in the NFL game but you know that that scramble run he made against the 49ers on fourth down I'm sure you've seen that you know, mm-hmm. like it was plays like that. The touchdown that he threw to Darno Mooney on Monday night against the Pittsburgh Steelers, where he's on the row and he throws across his body and throws a perfect dart. And, you know, those are the things that give you hope that, you know, he has the tools to get it done. Now he just right. needs somebody who's going to put him in the best position to succeed. And we're hoping that that's uh, Luke Getze, uh, our new offensive uh, coordinator. So we'll yeah. see. So <clears throat> looking at last year's schedule, you start with the. What happened week one against the the Dolphins? I mean, you, you're you're at home. I know it was you know Mac Jones' first game, 
But, uh, you know, the Dolphins come into town. It was a, it was a tight game, 17-16. Where did that one fall short for you guys? So it was always that the Dolphins always play the Patriots tough. Yeah. yeah and yeah. the Patriots uh, had stopped the Dolphins and had turned them over and gotten the ball back, uh, you know, on their side of the field. I think they get an interception, they got a late interception or a fumble, or maybe they just went for it. I don't remember, to be completely honest with you. We get the ball, and they're in field goal range to make it a four-point game with, like, two and a half minutes left to go in the game. Uh, oh, they couldn't have gone for it on fourth down. They must have turned them over. Uh, either way, they get the ball They get the ball down pretty far at, like, the 25-yard line, and Damian Harris just fumbled. And so, oh, you know, wow. Dolphins recover it, and the game's over at that point because there was, you know, not enough time left. And the defense still could have gotten a stop. Um, and the Dolphins ended up getting a first down, and, and they ended up losing the game. And so, you know, it was obviously on Harris for fumbling, but then the defense, could have, if the defense had forced a three and out, then they would have gotten the ball back again. So, sure, uh, you know, that's one of those games you look back and you're like, man, to lose that game is tough because, and it didn't matter eventually because they made the playoffs anyways, but, like, that's the type of game where in a competitive season, you can't lose those types of games. When you have the game won and you just can't, fumble the football in the in the red zone right and you do that you know and so that's the type of stuff you got to clean up um you know moving forward which they did a pretty good job of that moving forward uh, this last year i should say right so you, you you go on and get the first win against the jets you have the the loss against the the saints and then sunday night football brady and the buccaneers uh come yep. to town and frankly after the one and two start the bad game against the saints Everyone was kind of expecting the world champs to run you guys off the field, and instead, it was truly a back and forth thing. And uh, the pay, the the Bucks only coming away with a nineteen seventeen win. So it was like, you, yeah, it, it counts as a loss, but it was kind of like a moral victory that that Mac Jones can lead the Patriots against the best. It absolutely was, and you know, attempting a, a ridiculously long field goal in the rain and wind. I didn't necessarily agree with. I know it would have been a long fourth down for Mac to complete, and as a fourth, you know, in the fourth career game against the best player of all time, it's kind of like I don't, I don't want to. Maybe I think maybe Belichick didn't want to put that on his rookie quarterback, mm-hmm. um, and so that's why they went for the field goal, and he ends up hitting the upright. But you know, just the fact that they stayed with him, the fact that the defense played with him, the fact that Mac played pretty well that game, he kind of looked at it and said, like, okay, maybe the Patriots, like, maybe they're better than we than we considered. Yeah, and then there was the the win over the Texans, probably a little bit closer than you'd like it to be 25 yeah. uh, 22 cuz that was one where you kind of held on. Was it it wasn't a come from behind one though, right? It was oh, one that you oh, kind of held on. No, it was. Oh, they it was come from behind in the first half. Okay. I I flew down to I was actually down in in Houston for that game. Um try to go to a game every year and so we went down to Houston for the game last year and they were getting they were getting they were getting smoked in the first half. And they came out in the second half and just completely dominated the Texans and shut them down and you know and scored a bunch of points. But, but yes, that was uh, that first half was an ugly, ugly first half by the Patriots. <laughs> then you have the uh, the Sunday was it was it late afternoon or was it a Sunday night game against the the Cowboys? It goes to overtime and it was it, yeah, it was such a such a good game, uh, such a really good game. And go, you know going back to for, back and forth and everything, the Cowboys with the touchdown and overtime to take mm-hmm. the win. But again. This is another one. You're you're two and three coming into this game. Uh, it looks like the the Cowboys are like the team to beat in the NFC at the time, and and all the rest of that is supposed to be a non you know non factor. And here it was the the Patriots took them to overtime, and you know the Cowboys win it late. And then after that, 
the floodgates open. You win what seven, eight in a row uh, after that, and uh, and and not just teams you should beat. You were beating good football teams as well. Right. The Chargers, Titans. the Browns, the Titans, and you polished right. it off with that crazy game in Buffalo on Monday Night Football with. Uh, Three pass attempts and one completion from Mac Jones to get a 14-10 win over the Bills. Yeah, it was was crazy. I'll tell you, you know, going back to the Cowboys game, that was the game. That was the game for me that I said, okay, Mac is the guy. Because they had a lead late in the fourth quarter. He throws a pick six to Traquan Diggs. And you're like, oh, no. What are we doing here? And the very next pass, throws at Diggs again. Two born, same receiver, same corner, 75-yard touchdown pass. Yeah. And that, to me, was like to have the stones to go out there in your fifth career start and you make such a catastrophic mistake for your football team, and then you go out there and you say, nope, screw it, I'm going again, and you throw it again. And that, that to me, was awesome. And then, you know, in the fourth, in the overtime, they don't go for it and end up losing because they don't go for it on fourth down near midfield. But that's neither here nor there. But you're totally right. Like they they go on a winning streak at that point. They beat a bunch of teams. Now, like looking back on it, you kind of say, well, okay, well they beat the Browns, but both Hunt and Chubb were hurt. They beat the Titans, but Derrick Henry was hurt. They beat you know this team, but that guy was hurt. So they didn't, you know, they beat the Bills, but like the Bills couldn't throw the ball because the wind was going 90 miles an hour, and no right. one could throw. Right. So it's like one of those things where it's like, yeah, but every game was like a yeah, but right. And so it's one of those ones where you kind of look back and you're like, well, the Patriots, were they really as good as we thought they were? And of course, you know, then they play the Bills twice later on in the season and the Bills don't even punt. Right. And so right. Uh, not not great. Right. Not great. And so maybe you can poke some holes in what they were able to do in the middle of the year there. But still, those are still NFL football teams, and to win that many games in a row is not easy, no matter who it is you're playing. Right. So well, here's know, what impressed. here's what uh, here's where the statement is made for me. It's like, yes, the Browns were missing, you know, their 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 studs on running backs, which means, in my opinion, they're they're wounded. So you should be able to beat them by a wider margin. You won forty five to seven. You know, right. same thing with the Titans. No Derrick Henry, so the Titans are shorthanded, which means it should be, you know, an easier victory for you. Thirty-six to thirteen, uh, the win right. uh, in that one. To me, that's that's where it kind of comes in. It's one thing if you if it's you know sixteen to thirteen over the Titans, and it'd be like, well, if Derrick Henry's in that game, then obviously the Titans win it because they right. barely beat him with him on the bench. And same thing for the Browns. But you won those games by thirty-eight and twenty-three points apiece there was no question at all how that game was going how those games uh went so I mean I think that's where you know you can kind of put that argument to bed about like well they were missing these guys well yeah well they won 45 to 7 so I don't know how much those guys would have helped to be completely honest with you so I agree I do agree with you it's a good point it's a good point. so we go into the bye and the last four weeks that's where the wheels kind of come off a little bit aside from a 50 to 10 drubbing of the Jags week 17 you have a loss yeah. to the Colts. The rematch for the Bills doesn't go well at home. And then the, um, I don't know, were you resting guys, the, the game against Miami at the end of the season? or nah, the, they just played like, they, no one rested. They just played like absolute mm. garbage. They okay. played absolutely terrible down there. And the Patriots have been famous for playing terrible down there. They just like, they've always played bad down there. When Brady, you know, Brady played, he played, he always played bad down there. They just, they always played bad down there. Trust me, man, I feel your pain. The the Dolphins, they're that, they're that team for the Bears historically, no matter what it is, no matter how good they are, no matter how good we are, how bad they are, whatever, they always seem to have, 
are numbered. The last time we played the Dolphins, 2018, we go into South Florida. We're, we're coming off the bye. We just got done drubbing the, the Buccaneers, who at the time were like the hottest offense in football. We just beat them 48-10. to 10. We go into right. Miami, uh, and Brock Osweiler throws for 380 and three touchdowns on us when we had the best <laughs> defense in football in 2018. Makes no sense. It makes zero sense, and they beat us yeah. in overtime. So trust yeah. me, I feel your pain when it comes to not playing well against the Dolphins. <laughs> trust me. So, yeah. yeah, it's, you know, and that's really, that's, that was the biggest issue with the Patriots. I mean, you went, you know, there were years when you'd look at it and, you know, their record in December and January was stupid. It was outrageous, you know, where it'd be like five years in a row, they'd go the entire month of December without losing. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, but this time it's like, okay, you beat the bills, you get your buy, and then you lose three out of four to end the season and you get smoked in the, in the playoffs. And you're just like, wow, that's, that's you know, a huge letdown. And again, offense wasn't great. Defense was very bad in a few of those games. And you just kind of like, man, you know, I, I think it was extremely evident to the Patriots and to really anyone watching that they just didn't have the speed and the athleticism to compete with the best teams in the NFL. They just, they just flat out didn't have it. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that's one of those things. I mean, it's a perfect example. I think, you know, you look at the Colts game, and the Colts ended up winning by ten. But it was a close game until Der- uh, until uh, Derek Henry, until Jonathan Taylor breaks that long touchdown. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, and he's he's in the hole, and Hightower and McCourty both get there, but they're older guys. They're a little bit slower. They got there a half step too late, and so Hightower and McCourty get to the same spot. They're a half step too late. You know, uh, Hightower can't get his foot in the ground and come back. And Taylor cuts back, and see you later. He's gone for a touchdown, and, yeah. and that's the difference right there. Now, five years ago, if that's Jonathan Hightower from five years ago, he makes that play, mm-hmm. right? But you know, he just he is old and slow, and he hasn't he actually hasn't resigned with the Patriots yet. Although I, he hasn't officially announced retirement yet, so no one really knows what's what's going to happen yet. But mm-hmm. that's the type of play where you look at it and say, if we had more athleticism at the linebacker position on that play. Chances are we make that tackle on Jonathan Taylor and the Patriots might end up winning that game anyways, even though they played so terribly. Right. Right. And so it's you find some of those things. And of course, you know, the Bills don't punt for two straight games. You're just not doing enough defensively. Right. right. And so, you know, I, I think you saw a concerted effort in the offseason, which I'm sure you're going to get to next it, yeah, in, yeah. in the Patriots saying we're getting speed. That's what we need. And that's what we're bringing in. Yeah, because when I when I look at this off season as far as free agency, um, you know, obviously last year the the floodgates runneth open with you know all the, the right. spending that the Patriots had and, and you know signing the the tight ends and then going for this guy and that guy and uh, you know breaking the bank, which the Patriots rarely ever do, and then yep. this season. Um, not throwing a lot of money around. I mean, there's very selective, you know, Ty Montgomery, uh, you sign him away from the Saints, Terrence Mitchell from the from the um, Texans, you got Jabril Peppers from right. the Giants, uh, and then the other, like, big money things, or the larger money, I should say, Trenton Brown and, and Jawan Bentley are, are re-signed uh, to yep. the team. And, you know, so not very active in free agency, more like a, uh, in my opinion, a more of a normal Patriot offseason where we're, we're signing guys to a one-year deal here and there, you know, maybe adding some role players or, you know, the guy's going to fill a specific spot on the team uh, to help out uh, going forward. Absolutely. And, and Peppers is that guy for me. Peppers is the guy that I was excited about that they got him. He's a guy who brings that athleticism to the game, 
right, and plays the safety position where he can play, you know, similar to what Adrian Phillips has, has done the last two years, and really Kyle Duggar too, similar to what they've done as well, where he can play safety, he can play in the box, he can, you know, help on the run, he can play the pass, he can do a lot of those things, and I think that we're going to see a lot out of the Patriots this year where they're playing with three safeties on the field, four safeties on the field, and they're playing with one linebacker on the field. Like, I just... The game is getting to the point right now where you don't need to be big and strong and physical. You just, you don't need to be that anymore mm-hmm. because if you're big and strong and physical, chances are you're slow. Yeah. And if you're slow, you're, you lose. Right. And I think that that's one thing that they looked at and said, okay, high tower. We don't really need him. Now, Bentley, we'll bring him back. He doesn't have the soup. He's not super athletic, but he plays the run very well and he can be our kind of early down run stuffing linebacker. Great. And we'll use him sparingly here and there, but he's also a leader in the clubhouse guy that was a three-year captain at Purdue, um, you know, and, and is is touted as a leader in, in the clubhouse in New England too. So I think it was important to bring him back just even for for that leadership stuff. Um, but again, you know, you look at the other linebackers on the on the field, right? Cam McGrone from last year, Raekwon McMillan, who came from the from the Dolphins, who was hurt last year. You know, those guys at Josh Uche, and you know, depending on who else they're going to have at linebacker. Those are smaller, super athletic guys. That's who they brought in because that's what they want. And then you're going to see a bunch of safeties in the field, I think. And that's why Preppers comes in, and that's why they drafted Duggar a few years ago, and Adrian Phillips has been playing well. So that's the type of stuff where I look at it and say, like, okay, that's what we're going to see from them is, yeah, linebackers here and there, of course, but faster and stronger and quicker. Uh, I shouldn't say stronger, but faster and quicker. That's what they're trying to do on defense. Yeah, that's kind of what Ryan Poles was looking for, especially on the offensive line uh, for our guys. Um, Juan Castillo was more of the uh, bigger, stronger uh, kind of guy, which, as you said, means that we were slower. You know, we had trouble getting getting to the edge and uh, uh, and stuff like that. He wants the you know the trimmer, thinner, you know, faster uh, offensive right. lineman. I don't want three hundred and fifty pound tackles. I want my guys to weigh. You know, three ten, maybe three twenty, somewhere in that area. I still want him to be big, but I want him to be able to move. You know, so it's like everybody that's that's still on the team because he brought he basically overhauled the the roster has uh, trimmed down a bit. Like Tevin Jenkins is down to like three fifteen, three twenty, where he was three fifty, three forty five during the season yeah. uh, last year. Same thing with Larry Baram. I mean, he was three fifty in college. He got down to three thirty, and then Juan Castillo told him put weight back on. Uh, you know, yeah. during the season, it's like okay. Fine, but now that now that they're gone, we're trimming these guys down so they can move because we want to do the zone blocking thing this year, and you got to be able to move when you're trying to get to the next level and uh, and things like that. So it's it's a good yeah. philosophy, and and it's proved uh, you know well for Belichick over the uh, over the years because he just seems to be able to plug guys in, and if you fit a certain you know profile, you're going to be able to succeed in his system. Yeah, and and that's the thing with Bell with with Bill is that when you look at him. It's kind of obvious what he's doing, right? You know, you look at the draft this year, what they did in the draft this year, right? Now, they take Cole Strange, which, of course, everyone hated the pick. But he is, I think, like, the by, by metrics, like the seventh most athletic guard ever drafted in NFL history. Like, yeah, I mean, you know, since they started keeping the data from, like, 82 or 84 sure. or whatever, wherever it was. He's a super athlete, right? A guy that showed out in the Pro Bowl, showed that he belongs there, um, you know, and – People were cherry picking like he got beat twice, and they're like, "Oh, look at this! He got beat twice." Like, well, he's a, it's one on ones. You're gonna get beat. Like, it's just the way it goes. You know yeah. what I mean? So, um, but 
you know, he's a super athlete. Obviously, Tyquan Thornton runs a four two eight in the combine. He's a super athlete. Marcus Jones wins wins the Paul Horning Award for you know for the most uh, versatile athlete in college football last year. Finishes his career with nine return touchdowns. Is crazy athletic. Smaller, but crazy athletic. Jack Jones, who they drafted out of Arizona State, another smaller, crazy athletic cornerback. Uh, Pierre Strong, who ran like a four three two at the combine, the fastest running back at the combine. So you start, you look around, you're like. This is what they're doing. They're going after these crazy athlete types of guys where they can look at it and say, we're just we're going to just throw athleticism in the field. We're just going to get more athletic. We're going to get faster. We're going to get quicker and more athletic. That's what we're trying to do on offense and on defense. You know, you watch Isaiah McKenzie just run crossing routes, and there's no one that can run with him. Miles Bryant, love the guy. He can't run with I, Isaiah McKenzie. He just can't do it, right? Mm-hmm. That's not him. And so you draft guys that can do it, right? And John Jones was hurt last year, and typically he can do that too. But, like, so you draft guys that can do that. So now you don't have one guy you're dependent on. If that guy gets hurt, you get no one else, right? So now you get a few guys that can do that. So, and again, who knows? Like, it might backfire. Um, you know, the Tyquan Thornton pick is arguably, arguably the most hated pick in the entire draft. Like, people absolutely hated that pick. Um, and, you know, they've been saying that you could have gotten him in the – in the fourth, fifth round or something like that. You know, it's just, but I don't know. We'll see. We'll yeah. see, right? Like, I, I, I threw his tape on. I, I will tell you, I'll be honest right now. I watched zero seconds of Tyquan Thornton. Not one second, not one play of Tyquan Thornton that I watched. And the reason why was because he went to the combine, ran a four two eight, and they didn't even move his, they didn't even move his projection down. <laughs> he was like, oh, he's still a sixth round pick. And I'm like, the guy ran a four two eight at the combine, and he's still a six round pick. He must be terrible. I'm not even going to bother. Like he's yeah. just a track guy. And then you throw his film on, and you're like, well, actually, he has pretty good hands, and his release off the line is pretty good, and his route running isn't amazing, but it's like good enough, especially for a guy that has that much speed. So like, I don't know why there was this like, you know, the media the media that covered it, right, you know, whether it was, you know, PFF or whoever else had him low. But then I'm looking at him kind of like, well, why wouldn't you have him higher? We run a 428 like that, and you have the skills that he has, clearly has on film. I don't know how you're not a third, fourth-round guy at the latest because you've seen guys that are way worse than him get drafted <laughs> way higher just because they're fast, right? right? And so it's just kind of like John Ross goes, what, 15th overall? The guy couldn't even play receiver, yeah. and, and and he was small. This guy's at least six two, so it just I, I don't know. It didn't make it never made any sense to me why he was that low. So, um, I'm hopeful. I'm not optimistic based on the Patriots' prior history in drafting wide receivers, but I'm hopeful at least. Has that always been a a button uh, problem for you guys with the with the draft? Is drafting wide receivers because for the Bears, obviously, it's been quarterbacks. So. Yeah, well, that's that's also true. I was gonna say I thought you were gonna I thought you were gonna bring up uh, who the hell's the guy that they drafted like in the top ten? Oh, Kevin White. Played. That's it, Kevin White. Yeah, um, poor kid. Yeah, Big Cat would always say this, you know it's the Kevin White year he's playing this year, but um, <laughs> but no, you know, look they they drafted they drafted Deion Branch in two thousand two. After Deion Branch two thousand two, they traded up in the second round to draft Chad Jackson with Green Bay. Green Bay with the pick they traded them drafts Greg Jennings instead just hmm. an absolute colossal failure on that one by the Patriots just yeah. you know what are you going to do they drafted Bethel Johnson in 2000 
2007, 2008, maybe. Uh, no, sorry, 2009, they draft Bethel Johnson, who stinks. They drafted Taylor Price in 2010, who stinks. In 2013, they drafted Aaron Dobson, and then 10 picks later, the Chargers draft Keenan Allen. And it's just like, come on. And then in 2019, of course, they draft Nikhil Harry. Yeah, Harry and yeah. then, you know, the the entire, the, like, the 10 best wide receivers in the NFL currently get drafted after the after the Patriots draft Nikhil Harry. Uh, and you just look at the names and you're like, you've got to be kidding. I mean, the one that always kills me is the A.J. Brown one because A.J. Brown was a Patriots fan. Like, he was a Patriots fan. If you wanted a big body wide receiver, he was the perfect guy. Like, if that was the guy you were trying to get, He's the guy you should have drafted over yeah. Nikhil Harry. You like, don't want to get just, someone like AJ Brown. Just go ahead and get AJ Brown. Exactly right. <laughs> like this guy could be so good. He might even be AJ Brown one day. Like it's just like, what are you doing? So it was, uh, you know, yes, it's been bad. It's been very bad. And again, it's not been bad to the point where, like, okay, you know, fine, it's been bad. But like, at least everyone else in that year sucked. It was like, no, it's been bad. And every time they drafted a guy, I think. I think 2010, they didn't, like, there wasn't any guy after Taylor Price that's, like, great. But, like, almost every time they drafted someone good or someone that stunk, there was someone really good that went after him. And, of course, this year, like, I love George Pickens. I wanted the Patriots to take Pickens at 29, for God's sakes. And, Mm -hmm. you know, he goes two picks later to Pittsburgh. And I'm like, oh, my God. If there is any, like, there's no almost no doubt that George Pickens is going to be a beast. Because he's playing in Pittsburgh, where the where the wide receivers are always good, and we're going to look at this saying like, we drafted Tyquan Thornton over freaking George Pickens, and three years from now he's going to be like a number one receiver in the NFL, and we're we're just going to be shaking our heads. So I hope it's wrong. I hope I'm wrong. Yeah, that's that's not what history says. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's um, I mean it's interesting because you know the Patriots have always done so well uh, in the draft, especially you know during the 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 Brady era it's almost like Belichick was allergic to picking in the first round but he was happy to have three second round picks and you know two of those guys would end up being players for you or you know something uh like that so you're wondering if if he just employed that strategy in the first round by taking Cole Strange a guy that was projected in like the third or the fourth round he takes him 29th uh, overall, like you said, Thornton is supposed to be a fourth or a fifth round guy. He's number 50, you know, early in the second round uh, kind of thing, you know. And I think it's just like you were saying, maybe it's just because they have different values on these guys because their speed and their athleticism. This is the team we're trying to put together. So this is where these guys rank on our board. So we're going to go out and get them if they're still there when we're picking. Yeah. No, it's, I mean, it's 100% true. I mean, that's that's clearly what they had in mind. I've, you know, then after the draft, of course, you hear like Cole Strange is getting talked about as going early in the second round. And if the Patriots didn't draft him at 29, they weren't going to get him. Right. And I, I, I believe that at 29, they wanted to trade down again, but didn't want to go much past like the early 30s. And I think, you know, there were only offers in like the 40s. And they were like, no, because we're not going to, we're going to miss out on this guy and we have to draft him. And I think, so they said, screw it, we'll just draft him at 29. Um, you know, and again, did they reach a little bit? Maybe, maybe they did. But if the kid comes out and plays well, I mean, they did the same thing with Logan Mankins. You know, Logan Mankins was, was a, you know, an all pro guard for like 10 years. So yeah. it's like, well, yeah, I mean, they could have drafted someone else, but the guy's pretty damn good. Like, you know, if they, they need that position, it's, it works, you know? Yeah. So, and Marcus Jones, for me, Marcus Jones was my favorite prospect of the entire draft. There was, I literally did one draft thread online 
for pro- it's so hard to do. But I literally did one draft thread for prospects all year long, all mm-hmm. offseason, and it was Marcus Jones. I freaking I'm in love with this kid. And so when the Patriots drafted him <laughs> in eighty five, in my in my mock draft one which I wrote before the Super Bowl, I had the Patriots taking Marcus Jones at eighty five and they did it. And I was like I was over the moon. I was so excited about it because <laughs> he's just a guy that there's so many different clips that you throw on. There's a there's a clip against UCF that is just so impressive because it's fourth and one. He's on the defensive right. The quarterback's a lefty. He rolls out to his left. Now he's he can run or throw in this situation. Right. But you if you watch the film, Jones is looking in the backfield, but he sees a wide receiver going into the end zone from on the other side of the field. And he reads that, and instead of coming up to play the quarterback, he sprints back into the end zone. That guy's got a step and a half on the guy trying to cover him. Quarterback thinks that guy's going to be wide open for a touchdown, and Jones comes out of nowhere and picks it off, and then shakes the tight end and just blows past everybody for a pick six. And it was just, it was one of the most impressive plays I saw. You Just watching film was like, it was unbelievable to see that thing happened in his mind where he sees the guy and he's like, oh, I'm going to go back there. And the funny thing is that the safety on that play is coming up to play the run of the quarterback and the mm-hmm. quarterback throws it over his head and you could just see the safety like stop dead in his tracks and look at the ball like, oh, no, like I'm going to get chewed out for this. And Jones picks it off instead and it was there. It was just, it was a phenomenal play and something that like you just, the instincts there to see that guy and then to be able to make the move and, and take off and, and burn everyone down the field, uh, I was I was insanely impressed. And so he was a guy for me that I was like, they I I want them to draft this guy, and they did it. And I was like, oh my god, like no one could ever say a bad thing about Marcus Jones because I love this guy. And until he washes out of the league and sucks, like I will always say he's going to be a Pro Bowler. But you know, <laughs> who knows? We'll we'll see what happens. But you know, I've I've never been much for doing draft analysis uh, during the off season, but in two thousand eight. Uh, I fell in love with a player, and I, I just knew that the Bears, that I wanted to have him uh, on the Bears, but I wanted him to go in the first round. And that year, the Bears were projected to take Richard Mendenhall uh, as the running back out of, um, where did he, he went to Pitt or something, he, I think. But he was a local guy. He was from yeah. Chicago, so it was going to be one of those stories. And right. instead, the Bears took Chris Williams, an offensive tackle from Vanderbilt with the first round pick. And I was kind of disheveled, you know, upset and everything. And then my guy was still there in the second round, and sure enough, we picked him. And that guy's name was Matt Forte. And oh, nailed it. He was an absolute nailed stud. It. Like, first game of this NFL career, he runs for 150 and two touchdowns against the, the Colts, and we beat them in, you know, in the like so the good. first game in Lucas Oil. We beat the Colts, you know, out there on Sunday Night Football. It's like, yep, that's my guy. Uh, from the beginning, I said he was the one, and he fell into our laps, and we actually picked him, which is just a miracle in itself. And then he turns no, out to be better. the stud I always, you know, I thought he would be. So... Like the the one there's, time, there's nothing better than that. There's nothing, nothing better than that. And like, yeah. you know, the guys that do draft for everyone, okay, they're right about guys and they're wrong about guys and like whatever. But like, when you like love a guy and then he balls out, and especially when it's for your team, mm-hmm. that makes it so much better. Like I loved um, uh, uh, Nick Bolton last year coming out of Missouri, and he ended up playing for Kansas City, and he, he actually played really well, and he had a he had a fumble return for a touchdown, I think, in the playoffs last year. Uh, and he just like 
he balled out for them last year. He played awesome last year. And I was like, that's my guy. Like, that's the guy I wanted. And I was like, if the Patriots just drafted him, he would have looked so good here. But but he did it in Kansas City. So I'm like, that's cool. Yeah. It's just not as cool as if it's on your team and you're like, that's the guy I said was going to be nasty. And turns out he is nasty. It's, it's, it's a pretty awesome feeling. Yeah, I thought for sure we missed out on him by passing on him in the first round. It was like, this is a guy we got to have. We got to have this guy. Back yep. when it was normal to pick running backs in the first round, and right. you right. know now it's just like you took a running back in the second round. What are you nuts? You know, yeah. it's like no yeah. one does that anymore, especially the the Bears. Like our last three starting running backs, I think David Montgomery is the highest drafted of all of them He's in late in the third right. round. But yeah. it's like Tariq Cohen, Jordan Howard, uh, even the kid that that we had as a rookie last year, um, whose name I was he undrafted? He was a sixth rounder. But oh, uh, Jordan Howard was a fifth round pick. Tariq Cohen was in the fourth round, and you know, it's just yeah. like, yeah, okay. So we may not value yeah. we we still value the position, but we don't value the draft stock because you can find them a dime a dozen in the draft. Apparently, that's so, it. Because right. they're still Absolutely. some of the best athletes on the team. It's just it's a different game, and they're not as highly valued as they used to be. So, um, exactly. I mean, you ended up drafting a couple of running backs. You talked about Pierre Strong. Out yep. of South Dakota State, one of the better programs in one AA, and then Karen Harris out of uh, Kevin Harris out of South Carolina uh, in the sixth round uh, as well. Um, yeah, you know, it just seems was, like like he's adding depth. He's he's putting like a three headed monster, if you will. Uh, in I, the running I think back so. Campaign. Yeah, Harris is an interesting one because he got hurt and he came back and kind of played injured last year. Uh, kind of knew he was coming back injured. And so I talked to Thor Thor Nystrom's on with us every every year for to the draft recap, and he loved Harris. And he said, like, you could tell he wasn't 100% last year, but when he is, he's kind of a big physical bruising back, similar to like a Damian Harris. And so I was like, all right, you never know. Like, he could turn into something at some point, um, but he's a project guy. He's a guy who's going to be on the practice squad this year or, you know, get the Foxborough flu and end up on IR for the year or something like that. You know? So, uh, so it's going to be one, it's going to be one of those situations where we're not going to see him on the field this year, but he could pay dividends down the road, you know, as that kind of in between the tackles guy, like, like you have with Damian Harris. Right. How about, um, Bailey Zappi? I, I watched him on that. Um, I think like, welcome to the rookie, welcome to the NFL rookie or yeah, yeah, something yeah. like that, where they, they kind of document their, their training program and all that kind of stuff all the way up until they get uh, drafted. Uh, he went to Western Kentucky, which is kind of a sore spot for me because I went to Western Illinois, and when I was yep. there, we played Western Illinois second round of the of the playoffs in, in 2002, and uh, they beat us and then went on to win the national championship. Yep. When uh, yep. when uh, Jack Harbaugh, uh, Jim, and, uh, Jim and John's dad, was the head coach down there. Oh, geez. Yeah. Okay. So it's the, okay. but now Western Kentucky is now Division One. They they you know they graduated up and they're sending guys to the NFL these days. So yeah, what well, I mean, he had, I mean, statistically one of the best seasons of all time. Yeah, it was bananas the numbers he put together down there. something stupid like that. It was yeah. crazy. But he's another guy, and he does, he does exactly what the Patriots do, which is read the defense extremely well and get rid of the football. He just he reads it well. He gets rid of the ball. It's gone. Right. And so I've heard some interviews with his head, with his offensive coordinator who followed him over from, I can't remember the school he transferred in from, but he transferred to Western Kentucky last year with this guy who was his offensive coordinator. Um, And, you know, he just, he sees the field extremely well. He gets rid of the ball. He's an accurate passer. Again, doesn't have the strongest arm of all time, but, you know, he's a guy that can pay dividends. And I think the Patriots understand 
that that position is valuable, mm-hmm. right? That position is a valuable position, right? And and so they drafted Jimmy G in 2014. You trade him for a second-round pick. They drafted Jacoby Brissett in 2016. You trade him straight up for Phil Dorsett, right? So it's like you get players in Dorsett, help them on that 2018 touchdown, you know, that, that 2018 run, you know, to win the Super Bowl. He was a decent player for them. Not a great player, but a decent player for them. So the, that's a position that holds its value better than almost any in the league. And if you're high on a guy like Bailey Zappi, yeah, why not take him? Like, you know, you take him in that situation. And it's interesting because the the second they drafted and people were like, well, wait a second. Are the Patriots are the Patriots not sold on Mac Jones? Like, what's going on now? And I said, well, wait a second. Let's go back to 2002. Let's go all the way back to 2002. Tom Brady wins his first Super Bowl with the Patriots. And they beat they beat the Rams, and everyone's like, "Oh my God, look at the you know the the new fresh, the new you know new fresh face of the NFL and all this other stuff." Right. Two months after that game, the Patriots are drafting in the fourth round. They draft Rohan Davey, quarterback out of LSU. So this is just what they do. They yeah. draft quarterbacks earlier, and they draft you know they've drafted more quarterbacks before the fifth round than than a lot of teams because they just say, "Yeah, we'll we'll send a third or fourth or fifth round pick on a guy because." Why not? Because if he's any good at all, someone's going to sit there and say, hey, I'll give you a pick for that guy. Yeah. He comes in and plays well. I'll give you a pick. Sure. Like, you know, and even if we don't want him, you know, sure. We, you know, he'll, he could work out somewhere else and, and be a player somewhere else. I think Zappi's probably going to end up playing his career as a backup. But who knows? If he goes in, you know, Matt gets hurt, God forbid, or even if he just looks really good in the preseason for the next few years. That could be a situation where he's going into the final year of his deal and someone's like, hey, we'll send you a, you know, a third or fourth round pick for this guy who might be a free agent at the end of the year and we'll we'll let him try to beat out whoever we got at quarterback and see what happens, you know? So uh, I think for them, it's it's one of those things where they they kind of intentionally take that risk ahead of time, uh, knowing that they that they might get something out of it, you know? Right. Hey, can you tell me who the, who you who the Patriots drafted in the second round in twenty nineteen? Yeah, Chase Winovich. That's the only pick you had in the second round. Because the reason I ask is, um, yeah, we 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 made a trade with you guys in 2018. We gave you our 2019 second round pick to trade back into the second round, and we selected Anthony Miller, the wide receiver out of uh, Memphis. Now, his rookie season, he was fantastic. He led the season, led the team in touchdowns. He is an utter disappointment from that point on, and he's been gone. Uh, the last two seasons. So I just wanted to see who we traded him for. Uh, Joe Juan Williams. That's who it was. Okay. Joe Juan Williams. I think, I think, um, hold on. NFL transactions. I'm pretty sure one of my favorite, one of my favorite websites of all time is a uh, professional draft, professional football, pro sports transactions is what it's called. Uh-huh. And it's NFL, it's NFL draft transactions. And it shows you, Every move oh, that wow. got made for every single pick, like basically in history. Okay. Uh, so forty-five was from the Rams. So the Bears. Traded it would have been a later pick picks. in the second round because we were twelve and four uh, that year. Got it. There it is, right here, McCole Hardman. Mikko Hardman. Okay. Yep. So the the Patriots, they the Bears. So they traded, traded that the pick Patriots. to Kansas City. They traded the Patriots traded the pick actually to the Rams. Okay to move up to draft Joe Williams and the Rams traded to the chiefs to draft McCole Hardman. Okay. So there you so, go. Yeah. So that did not work out. 
It did not. However, DK Metcalf went like seven picks later. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. I remember. What took you so long? Exactly. Uh, I remember that. Yeah. And so. Deontay Johnson went two picks after DK Metcalf. So mm-hmm. it was just like the 2019 draft was one of those things where it was like the Patriots draft and Nikhil, right? Then Debo gets drafted, A.J. Brown gets drafted, and you're like, okay, now we're on like a roll here with like good wide receivers getting drafted. <laughs> and they're like, oh, yeah, no, we're going to draft J.J. or Ortega Whiteside and McCole Hardman. And you're like, these guys stink. And Andy, 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 Andy Isabella. Within like a four-pick, within like five five or six picks, it was McCole Hardman, J.J. Ortega Whiteside, oh, Paris Campbell, and then Andy Isabella. And then DK and Deontay Johnson. It was right. like you picked all those guys over DK and Deontay Johnson. You idiots! <laughs> like, what are you doing? You know. And it's just, you know, what are you gonna do? It's what happens sometimes. Sometimes it's just the obvious stuff. Like you look at DK and you're like, this guy should be able to play football. He's like a Greek god. He's yeah. built like a Greek god. He runs insanely fast. He has huge hands. He's big and tall and physical. He probably should be able to play wide receiver pretty good. Turns out he can. Wow, that's shocking. No one saw that coming. Like, what are we talking about here? I, right. Well, I mean, the thing about DK, obvious stuff, you know. The thing about DK Metcalf is that he grew up in Chicago because his dad used to play guard for the Bears, Terrence Metcalf. Oh, so he grew up around Hallis Hall and you know and all that kind yeah. of stuff. So why wouldn't we want him? Like, because all that talk about him not showing up to camp with Seattle and there's rumors about should the Bears trade for DK Metcalf? I'm like, I wouldn't yes, hate it. I would not hate it if you traded for DK Metcalf because you're bringing the Chicago-born Kent back home. Uh, you're yeah. getting him away from the situation he wants. Apparently, he's not happy with. So you know, and it gives Justin Fields an amazing target to throw the football to. Yeah. So yeah, I'll tell you, I would. I wouldn't be too happy about Drew Locke as my quarterback either. <laughs> if I were him. Right. So, yeah, you know, we just yeah. traded away Russell Wilson, and we're settling for Drew Drew Locke at the moment. Yeah, well, I get that. and that's the thing, right? Now they're going to pick up his fifth-year option, but like if you're DK. You're like, well, my quarterback stinks now, and maybe he'll be good anyways. But like, he wants, you know, he's he's about to get paid, and he doesn't probably want to get paid in Seattle anymore. So that right. means he's out after next year. And so, well, actually, I'm sorry, he doesn't even get a fifth year option. So he's out after this year because he was drafted in the second round. Right? Yeah, no. He's not going to resign in Seattle most likely. So he's like, well, if I play this year with a cra- terrible quarterback and he can't get me the ball, then my numbers are going to go way down. And if my numbers go way down, I'm not going to be able to get as much money on the open market. Like all those things kind of precipitate into it where he's like, I don't want to be here at all. Right. right? And so, uh, and so I wouldn't, I, I mean, if I were, if I were the Seahawks, I mean, they're clearly rebuilding anyways. If I were the Seahawks, I'd just trade. If someone's willing to give me a late first or, you know, a first round pick or a second round pick for DK, I'd have to strongly consider it. Yeah. I'm definitely know? answering that call if I'm, if I'm Seattle. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. So let's look ahead to the, to the 2022. Uh, schedule. Uh, same as last year to start with the Dolphins, but you're in Miami. Always fun to be in South Florida early on in the season when it's still 180 degrees uh, right. outside. So yeah. at least you'll get that nightmare out of the way right away. Then at Pittsburgh, three out of four on the road to start. And, uh, you know, yeah. at Miami, yeah. at Pittsburgh, home for the Ravens, and then at the Packers. So apparently the NFL is pissed at New England and wants them to get off to another one and three start this year. I could certainly see it happening. I could certainly see it happening. Although I will say I wouldn't be surprised to see them start two and zero. I just think Dolphins in their first game with their new rookie coach. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, against Belichick. I know it's in Miami, but like, man, that's that's a that's a tough ask to ask. You know, a first time coach to go up against Belichick in his first career start. Yeah. So I can see that the Steelers they should the Patriots should dispatch the Steelers pretty easily. 
Um, who knows who they're going to have? I mean, it seems like Kenny Pickett's going to be the starting quarterback, but like I don't know. Do you trust Kenny Pickett going against Bill Belichick? I don't see how anyone could trust that. So like, <laughs> I could see the Patriots, you know, starting out two and two. Sure. Uh, maybe even three and one, depending on what happens to the Ravens. Probably not, but maybe. Um, you know, the Ravens are were kind of up and down team. So I I have to say I'm very excited. I have my I got to book my flight, but I have my Airbnb already booked for Green Bay. Nice. Uh, and we're going to the Packers game. I'm so excited to go to Lambeau. Um, yeah, even as I a Bear like, fan, I, so I I got to make the trip up to Lambeau one year and pay a thousand dollars to see him play the Bears on Sunday Night Football because apparently <laughs> it's illegal for them to play a noon Sunday game. If it's in if it's in Green Bay, it's prime time one way or another. So apparently, right. maybe Lambeau just looks like shit on television in the daytime because you maybe. can only play on in the evening <laughs> when it comes to the comes to the Bears. So yeah, but uh, after the uh, Green Bay game, you're home for the Lions. At Cleveland, and then home for my beloved Chicago Bears. Monday Night Football, um, you know, week number seven, and uh, well, we we finally beat Brady in twenty twenty, but it's been a while since we beat the Patriots. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, it's one. It's going to be one of those interesting things, and and this is where I'm very excited to see it because, as I said, like I'm a huge Justin Fields guy. I really think Fields has a, has an opportunity to be a very very good quarterback in the NFL. Um, and so I'm rooting for him. Obviously, I obviously won't be rooting for him that night, but I'm, <laughs> I'm rooting for him to do well. And I do think that they have, a, you know, a chance to do well, right? I, I think, you know, with the guys that you have around him, right? And, and you know, Anthony Miller, whatever. But yeah. uh, um, you have oh where right now our our guys are Byron Pringle. We have Valus Jones, mm-hmm. who we drafted in the third round, oh, and Darnell God. Mooney. Um, Mooney, that's what I was trying the, to think of. I'm like the, Mooney is. The, I'm like this is a guy that is escaping yeah. me. Mooney is the guy I think. I think takes a step up this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was impressed with him last year. So, you know, you get 37 year old Vilas Jones who you know who might come out and, and do something good, <laughs> uh, do something good this year. But, but I do think you know it's interesting. And then you got Cole Komet at tight end too. So, um, you know, I I don't know the weapons aren't necessarily fantastic. They don't blow you away, right? But you know. I'm interested to see kind of what happens with the offense with a new regime in there starting fresh again, you know, and giving him the opportunity to say, you're the starting quarterback week one, no Andy Dalton. It's not, you know, we're not tweeting out things with Andy Dalton QB one or any, any garbage like that. Like you're the guy, you know, like this is what we want. And I, and I think that that's, that to me is going to be, you know, is going to be good for him. And again, I don't know how good the bears are going to be this year. Yeah. Right. But, it almost doesn't matter what your record is. It really just matters. You want to see that step up from right. fields, right? Absolutely. You want to see him make that leap where you look at it and say, like, okay, he's reading defenses better. He's playing better under center. You know, he can still, he's going to be able to make those plays when, you know, when everything breaks down and he's scrambling, going crazy, trying to find something to do. He's going to be able to make those plays because he's always made those plays that he can do that in his sleep. Mm-hmm. It's the other stuff that is the stuff that you want to say. Okay, this is what we want to see you improve on. We want to see you make checks of the line. We want to see you read the defense as you go back in your three-step drop. You see what's happening in the field, and you make the right throw, and you get rid of it quickly, and you you know, and you're decisive, and you know, when the ball gets there on time and, and in the right spot, like those are the things that you want to see from him this year. And it's almost like. It's almost like the record just doesn't really matter right now. And I agree. It does, but I like you know, it, it it doesn't. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, I obviously I want to see us win more games than we lose. But like you said, I'm I'm more interested in watching this team progress because 
Ryan Pace, our former general manager, left the cupboard very bare uh, for for Ryan Poles. You know, we were very low on salary cap space. We only had five draft picks going into uh, into the off season and everything. There was not a lot for him to work with. So we're not going to go out and spend you know twenty million to to get Devonte Adams or you know thirty million or whatever it would cost. We just don't have the money for that. We weren't able to bring Teron Armstead into town probably because he wanted a little more than we were willing. Uh, to spend uh, and everything, so it was just. Um, I'm I'm more interested in in, in more more support, more specifically in in having a coaching staff that is willing to adjust when something isn't working. Nagy right. absolutely refused to do that. He refused to do it, even when he turned play calling uh, over. It, we were still running Matt Nagy's offense. You could see it all over the place. You know, one play I can remember specifically against the 49ers. It's third and six, and he throws that quick screen out to the out into the flat, where the wide receiver is starting four yards behind the line of scrimmage. So it's not third and six; yeah. it's third and ten, third you and know. Ten, and of yeah. course, they can see it coming from a mile away. He gets stuffed for a two yard loss. So it's like, great, yeah, they knew that was coming, and everybody did, as a matter of fact. And because that's what you always do uh, in that situation, rather than adjusting to what the defense is giving you and something like that. So it's like I'm hoping that God forbid we come out first couple weeks of the season, something isn't working, then we adjust to something else. But you know what? This thing did work, so let's see if we can make more of that work kind of thing, as opposed to yeah. what Nagy would be like, all right, this is my system. We just need to execute. He was always talking about execution, 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 instead of, well, this isn't working. Let's try something else. Uh, you know, Or what do these guys do best? Let's do that. And that's what these coaches are saying, so I'm hoping they're true to their word and they will make the adjustments and put our guys in the best position to succeed as opposed to just trying to make them fit in the structure of, a, of an offense. Right, and that's, you know, that's what good coaches do. I yeah. mean, that, you know, Bill Belichick, in my opinion, is the best coach, certainly in NFL history, and maybe even beyond that. But, you know, the best coach in NFL history, that's exactly what he does. Yeah. He doesn't have a quote-unquote system. They, Their Patriots are famous for being able to do everything because mm-hmm. we want to be able to do a bunch of stuff, and we want to be able to use the strengths of our players and avoid the weaknesses of our players. Like that's the whole point. It doesn't matter how good the system is because if your guys can't run the system, it's irrelevant, you know, and that's the game is won by the players and not by the coaches. Right. And, And I think that some coaches have a hard time remembering that, that like they don't win the game. You can lose the game as a coach, but you can't win the game for your team as a coach. Right. It has to come down to the players. And so, you know, if you're saying, oh, this is my system and we're going to be able to run it with whoever we want, that, that just doesn't work. It's not going to work. It's the NFL. Like, that might work in college. It's not going to work in the pros, right? right? And so you need things either, A, you have to draft the guys that are going to fit your system exactly, or, B, you have to change your system to fit your guys, right? And yeah. if you're unwilling to do that, you're going to find yourself without a job, uh, which is exactly what happened to Matt Nagy Absolutely. and Ryan Pace. Well, I mean, one of my favorite stories uh, about uh, like making adjustments is actually about Bill Belichick. I was watching the America's game for the uh, 90 Giants when they beat the Bills in the Super Bowl. And him, well, not so much him telling the story, but I think it was Carl Banks or something like that who played on that defense back in 1990 saying that Belichick comes in and he tells us, if we're going to win this game, Thurman Thomas is going to run for like 125 yards on us because 
we're going to switch up the offense. We're going to have two defensive linemen, four linebackers, five DBs. We're going to dare them to try to use that K-gun, shotgun, no-huddle offense on us. And when that fails, you know, they're going to have to run the ball, and we can handle running the football or, or whatever. And sure enough, had the Bills won that game, Thurman Thomas would have been the MVP. He did run for over 100 yards, but that K-gun shotgun offense was virtually ineffective, and they did not throw for 400 yards and four touchdowns. They only scored 19 points, and they were the highest-scoring offense in the NFL that year. Right. That's why they lost that Super Bowl, because Belichick threw out the playbook and rewrote a new one for this opponent, and it won him a ring. Yeah, and that's and again, that's that's what it all comes down to. It's all about adjustments. And they did the same thing in two thousand one when they played the Saints. Uh, not the, I'm sorry, the Rams. The Rams. Yeah, you know, and they had lost them earlier in the year, and they realized like the entire offense runs through Marshall Falk, so we're going to just hit Marshall Falk on every single play. And it took the Rams three and a half quarters to like adjust yeah. to what the Patriots were doing, and of course they ended up playing the game. The Patriots ended up winning, of course, but like. You know, that that's what has to be done. The Giants said the same thing. The Giants, you know, in 07, lost to the Patriots 38-35 in the last game of the regular season. Mm-hmm. And they said, okay, we're going to dial some things up differently and play them differently when they and they win 17-14 in the Super Bowl, right? right. So it's like though, those are the types of things that win you games and ultimately win you championships if you have the talent around you, right? But just at, for now... Those are the types of things that win you games or at least put you in position to win games. And that's all the coaching staff can do. That's right. the only thing they're responsible for is put us put your team in the best position to win. Right. And so that's all you can ask your coaches to do. Right. And and, and you know, don't lose the game for us. Put our players in the right position to win the game. And so you hope that that's that that's what you know the new guys over over in uh in Chicago are gonna be able to do. And I, you know, I don't know if I'm 100% confident in him because he's, you know, Eberflus is, is, is a new guy, mm-hmm. but he can't possibly be worse than that. Now. Right. So, like, you got that going for you. Well, I mean, a lot of people viewed it as addition by subtraction. Like, Nagy's not right. here. That's that's better than anything else that we'll be able to hire to replace right. him. Just him yeah. not being here, trying to fit us into this rigid style of football that, you know, apparently our own players can't even figure out because we were lining up wrong, having to call unnecessary timeouts because guys were out of position and all that kind of stuff over and over again. It was embarrassing to watch uh, yeah. sometimes. So, But um, after the Bears on Monday Night Football, you're on the road for the Jets, home for the Colts, and then a Week 10 Bye. Got that nice middle of the season bye mm-hmm. as opposed to the week 14 bye uh, last year. I mean, sometimes that can be good. Get the team freshen up, you know, late in the season, going for the stretch run uh, and whatnot. Didn't appear to work out too great for you guys because you lost three out of four sure down the stretch uh, last year. But right in the middle of the, the season there, uh, then you got the then back with the Jets again. And then yep. this really interesting stretch of the schedule where you go back-to-back Thursdays, you play the Vikings on Thursday night, or th- excuse me, on Thanksgiving, then you come mm-hmm. back the following week, you play the Bills on Thursday night football, then you go to Monday night football against the Cardinals, then Sunday night football against the Raiders. So four straight, if you count the Thanksgiving game, four straight national TV slash primetime games to you know close out the November and the first three weeks uh, in December, so if you if you're not a fan of the Patriots, you're gonna hate the month of December because they're on yes, national TV every single week. Yeah, and that's I, I think you know this is kind of the situation where I, I think that the schedule makers had this in mind originally. You're mm-hmm. looking at it saying, okay, 
give the Patriots some tough games at the beginning of the season, it's going to be hard. Then that middle of the season is kind of, and again, it's not easy per se, but like the Lions, not very good. The Browns probably going to be without Sean Watson, hopefully. Knock on wood. Yeah, I mean, like, Jesus Christ, let's hope that that's the case. <laughs> um, you know, and then and then Chicago, who, again, not saying they can't win that game because they can, but an up-and-coming team yeah. who, you know, struggled last year, new coach, everything else, right? Then you're at the Jets. Again, another winnable game. Then it's the Colts, and it's like, okay, like, yeah, the Colts are fine, but they're not great. So, again, you know, and then the Jets, another winnable game. And then you get that stretch where it's, you know, Vikings and and again, I think the Vikings kind of stink to be completely honest um, with you. But I'm that's totally yeah. on board with you, brother. But you know, so so Vikings, but then it's Bills, Cardinals, Raiders, Bengals, Dolphins, Dolphins who you know we'll Bills. see, and yeah. you finish with the Bills. And it's like that is just an absolute gauntlet at the end of the season where you're looking at it saying, you know, as a Patriots fan, I'm looking at that saying like that's just that's really sucks to have to play all those games back to back like that. You know, and so it makes it a lot more difficult, you know, if you're as the Patriots looking at that. But again, if you're the NFL, you're looking at saying, well, yeah, but that, you know, that Thursday night game against Minnesota, now the Patriots, you know, seem to get some wins and, you know, maybe they're, you know, six and two or five and three going into that game. Or I don't know. How, I don't know what the math, where the math lines up, but you get the idea. Like, yeah. They're a pretty good team going into that game. And you're looking at it saying like, Hmm, all right, maybe they, you know, now we can sell this game, right? Then they play the Bills later on. They win that game. Hey, now Patriots are a really good team. The Bills are a really good team. The Panthers and football, this is great. And it's like, yeah, the Bills, no, hey, the Bills are a lot better than the Patriots. We're going to find out again this year that mm-hmm. that's the case. But we can sell it as, look at these two teams. You know, it's the Bills and the Patriots are still hanging on and they're still there and they're not willing to give up their AFC's crown yet and this and that. And then it's like, you know, so you can sell that stuff because, you backload the you know the the schedule with basically all their hard games at the end of the year you know so yeah yeah and then also in the last eight games you got what four or five divisional games uh yeah. in there so i mean not only are you playing tougher opponents like the cardinals and the Bengals and whatnot but both games against the bills you got the dolphins again you got the jets uh at home this time coming off the bye but it's just like divisional games are divisional games and you know those the guys right. that are most familiar with and, you know, so it's like, you know, you expect the game to go a certain way, but you're not exactly surprised if a divisional opponent beats another one. So, well, well, that's the thing. I mean, four out of six of their divisional games are after, you know, our November or later. Yeah. And the one and one of the games that isn't is is on is on uh, October 30th. So it's right. basically in November. Right. So, <laughs> yeah, you get the one at the beginning of the season and they're all backloaded there at the end. Right. So, uh, yeah, certainly, certainly some some tough sledding at the end of the year there. So there you have it. I mean, I'm not asking for a record, but what are you looking at when when you when you think about this uh, schedule and what lies ahead? So I've gone back and forth on it. I actually wouldn't be surprised to see them go about nine and eight. I really even wouldn't be surprised to see them finish eight and nine this year. I just think that there's there's a lot. It's it's a tough schedule. I think that they're they have gotten a little bit worse over the off season. But I think the Patriots are in a very similar situation. And I think I do think that they're a better overall team than the Bears are. But sure. I think they're in in a very similar situation to the Bears where again, I want them to win every game. But like I'm kind of like, well, the, the the record doesn't really matter quite as much. 
as Mac Jones, right? right? Mac is the guy that matters. Like if he plays well and he takes that big step, that big leap this year, that's what we're looking for. So that when we have $100 million in the offseason, next offseason, we can go out and buy a bunch of free agents again, you know, restock our team. Hopefully we hit on a few of these draft picks that we drafted this year and last year. And now you're looking at it saying, okay, we're a good young up-and-coming team. We're going to add some pieces like we did last offseason, you know, like the Judon and, you know, and, and Hunter Henry and those types of guys. We're going to add a few more of those guys. And now all of a sudden we're going to be competing again for the AFC's crown because we have one of those guys, you know, one of those quarterbacks who we know is a top 10 to 15 quarterback in the NFL. Right. And I think, you know, I think he's, he's probably fringe top 20 right now. I think he's better than top 20, but he's probably somewhere in that 16 to 18 range, somewhere around there. Okay. Um, you know, if, if he can take this, take a step up to, you know, that like 10 ish range, that's a, that's a big step. But if he can take that step up, now you're talking about, that's a team that can compete this year, right? That's a team that can really, you know, compete next year in 2023. And maybe not necessarily in 2022, but I think next year in 2023, that's that's what the Patriots are really looking for, I believe. Um, and so even if you finish 9-8, and eight, even if you finish 8-9, and nine, like, you know, if Mac takes that big step forward, um, which all, all the reports are that he's been a vocal leader and he's out in the practice field and he's, you know, bossing guys around and he's telling them, no, you have to go here. And he's being very precise with things and they're running things. So they get them right. And, you know, he's being a, he's being a leader in the locker room and he's being a leader on the field. And he's all of those things that you hear are good. They're positive things. Yeah. Right. And so that is encouraging for me. Again, I don't know if that's going to translate on the field to wins, right? Their defense is significantly worse without JC Jackson. They're just, they just are like, there's just no way around that. They don't really have a number one corner. You know, they're they're banking on Malcolm Butler to come out of retirement and play well this year. Like, that's not good, you know? So, like, it's just not great. Their, their number one corner right now is Jalen Mills. So, like, it's not great when you're looking at that side of the ball. But at the same time, you look at it and say, okay, the offense could be significantly better than it was last year. And if that's the case, you know, then they can take a step up, even if their defense takes a little bit of a step back. And so um, that's the part for me where I kind of say, okay, hey, listen, you know, again, if they make the playoffs, great. They finish ten and seven again. That'd be cool. I'd be, I'd be down with that, right? I think they could. I think asking for more than ten and seven is asking a little bit much. Mm. Um, unless Mac takes some crazy leap and becomes, you know, a top five to ten quarterback in the NFL, in the NFL, which I don't see that happening. Right. Um, you know, if that happens, then sure they could finish eleven and six or even better, and you know, and have a chance to to you know make some noise in the playoffs. But again, I, you know, I'm expecting somewhere in that eight to ten win range. Um, you know, and maybe, maybe the outside fringe of the playoffs, maybe not. But, uh, again, that's, like I said, same thing in Chicago. You guys looking for, I'm looking for the same damn thing, right? Just get the quarterback playing better, get real confidence going into his third year and then see what happens from there. Yeah, you're right. I mean, we're, we're on very similar paths in that, in that regard. Not, I mean, not only are we hoping to make the, 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 you know, see a big leap out of our quarterback in, in year number two. Uh, we're also looking forward to the next off season where we've got a hundred million in cap space, yep. so we can make that one last big financial push while we still have him on his rookie deal. You know, to to you know basically put him in the best position to get one of those crazy contracts. And you know, if you can draft a quarterback and then sign him to a lucrative second 
uh, contract, you're doing something right. You're doing well. And, uh, you know, I'm hoping the Bears can put themselves in a position to have to give Justin Fields 35 or $40 million, uh, a season because as much as you hate to pay somebody that much, Tends, more times than not, those guys tend to be worth it. So right. if, if we're exactly. paying him $40 million a year, that means he's kicking ass for us. So that's a, that's a deal I'm willing to make right now. Exactly. Exactly. So. I hope so, too, because, like I said, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Justin Fields guy. I, uh, I like him a lot. And so, you know, I'm, I'm hoping I'm, – I'm rooting for him, like I said, except for, uh, except for the Patriots game. I'll be, I'll be rooting for him this year and, and moving forward. I really do think that he has a bright future ahead of him. So – uh, you know, so hopefully we'll we'll see him take that next step this year. You know, Amen. Well, I mean, I've been I've been a fan of his for a while because Netflix had that QB one documentary series. That's right, and he was in it. Right. So I've kind of been like, oh, this Justin Fields kid. Oh, he went to Ohio State. Look at that. I remember him and watching him in Ohio State because I'm I live in in, in Iowa, so I'm in I'm in the I'm neck deep in in Big Ten country out here. So I've <laughs> yeah, seen yeah. him play all that, and I'm being like, wouldn't it just be great? If Justin Fields ended up in Chicago, and I said that before his senior season uh, and everything, and I was like, it wouldn't be a fantasy to have that guy on our team because I I had a a former Bear Raymond Harris on my show, and he works at Ohio State because he used to go to Ohio State. He was a running back for us, and um, I got to talk to him uh, and on the show and everything, and was asking him about Justin Fields. It's like, yeah, it's a fantasy. He'll never end up in Chicago, but wouldn't it be something if he did? And sure enough, a year later. We got Justin Fields. So, yeah, awesome. I've uh, been following that guy's career since he was in high school, and here he is. He's on my squad. I get to watch him every day. So that's great. pretty sweet. So, great. Pat, man, I, I appreciate you, you you coming on. Uh, this has been great. Um, look forward to uh, having you on there in uh, late uh, October to preview this game on Monday night between our, our Bears and our Patriots, and hopefully the visit won't be as embarrassing as our last <laughs> trip to Foxborough was when the highlight of the game for us was Justin, um, was it Justin Houston? Lamar Houston, excuse me. Lamar Houston, freshly signed, <clears throat> excuse me, freshly signed defensive end, gets his very first sack week eight against the Patriots in garbage time, and we're already losing like 50 to 20 or whatever the final score was. He sacks Jimmy Garoppolo, so Brady's not even in the game anymore. Yeah. Sacks Garoppolo, and in the midst of his celebration dance, blows out his ACL at the 50-yard line. Nicely done, too. dumbass. It's like, you don't, you don't ever well, want to laugh at a guy for getting hurt, but that's goddamn funny. I don't care what anybody says. So. Right, and you're getting killed, and it's like, what are you doing? It's like, guys? what are you like, celebrating exactly? What are you yeah. celebrating? You're down 30 in the fourth quarter. Yeah, you get a garbage time sack. Yeah. Just blow out your ACL and you're done for the year. I hope it was worth it. So, yep. yeah, I'm hoping it goes a little better uh, than yeah. that. So at least we won't have Gronkowski on the field where he can shove Very and true. kick around guys for a 60-yard touchdown like he did in that game. I mean, that game yeah, was that just game was, that flat-out embarrassing for us. Yeah. So I'm hoping that doesn't happen again. It's on hey, national TV Jake and everything. Smoking Jay on the other sideline either. So right. Be, That's, there's know. that as well. So, But uh, <laughs> where can we keep up with you uh, in the meantime until we talk to you again in October? Yeah, so I, I write for uh, Pat's Pulpit uh, through SB Nation, so you guys can read me there. And uh, on Twitter, it's at PLane underscore Pat's. Uh, and I'm talking about Celtics at this point right now. And, sure. Uh, you know, always about the Patriots and Marvel and, and you know, I teach uh, math. So Marvel. A little, of, a little bit of math stuff too. So all right. Uh, all, all sorts of stuff going on over there on, on, on the timeline. Yeah. All right. Well, Pat Lane, uh, thanks so much for joining us previewing 2022 New England Patriots. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it.
As always, want to thank uh, Pat Lane for for being on the show, helping us preview the 2022 uh, New England Patriots. As I said before, look forward to having him uh, to preview that Monday night game, Week Seven, uh, between the Bears and the Patriots. Hopefully, our trip out to Foxborough will be uh, at least, at the very least, not as ugly as the last one was. You know, we heard to talk about the Lamar Houston incident. Um, first sack of the season after signing a big contract with the Bears. Blows out his ACL celebrating a meaningless sack when we're down 40 in the fourth quarter. Yeah, that just that you, you can't write stuff like that into it. I mean, you put try to put that into a Hollywood script, they tell you to write it out. That would never happen. Get that out of there. That's stupid. So, uh, but we witnessed it. We saw it happen right there uh, in front of us. So, uh, anyway, but what'd you guys think of that with the. The prediction, the nine and eight, eight and nine, is where he thinks maybe this this schedule might end up for New England this year. I find that very interesting, um, mostly because a lot of Patriot fans that I've encountered are overly confident in what the team can do, uh, what they're capable of, and and why wouldn't they be after all that time with Brady, where they averaged twelve wins a year and the worst that they did most seasons was make it to the AFC championship game. You know, when you have that level of success on such a consistent basis, it's not out of the realm of possibility to think that your team's going to win 12, 13 games and make another run uh, at another title. So, I mean, but to hear him say 8 and 9, 9 and 8, like really? That that I found that very very interesting. So, we'll uh, you know, time will tell and uh, we'll see how how well they're on their way to that when we meet up again uh, for week number seven, the, the Bears one and only Monday night football appearance uh, of the season. And, um, you know, I, I, I look forward to seeing how that season shakes out. But he's, he's definitely correct in the fact that year, this year, the most important thing is for us and for them is development of the quarterback. You know, so what if the Bears go seven and ten or six and eleven again, or whatever under you know Eberflus for that first year? But if Justin Fields is making strides, that's what's most important, especially with the off season that the Bears have waiting for them, with all the salary cap space, with all of the draft picks uh, in tow. You know, we're we're going to have a complete off season now where Ryan Poles can really flex his muscles. You know, and he didn't go out of his way to spend money this season and the one time that he did it fell through with Larry Ogunjobi so you know what's it going to look like next year when he has a hundred million in cap space will he spend more of that money re-signing and keeping guys like extending Darno Mooney uh, you know re-signing uh, David Montgomery extending uh, Roquan Smith and guys like that or will he go out and bring in guys that can help us bridge the gap between where we are and where we want to be so that's what's going to be most interesting. And this season, I think, with Justin Fields, will go a long way in kind of projecting where next offseason is going to go. Can Justin Fields have the type of season where he becomes somebody that other players want to play with? You know, where, where we can sign, uh, you know, like a DK Metcalf or something. Because he's in the last year of his deal out there uh, in Seattle. So if they can't extend him or trade him someplace uh, and get something back for him, do they want to franchise DK Metcalf or, or, you know, do they want to use those resources for something else? Maybe DK wants to come back home to Chicago and we've got the cap space in order to make that happen. So, you know, that's the kind of thing that, uh, you know, an, an effective 
season without, you know, maybe we don't get the wins, but we got the respect. We have the talent. We got things rolling. Now we just need some, you know, some talent that can push us over the top to get us where we want to go. And uh, I think he feels like the Patriots are, are, are due for a season like that as well, where maybe they don't make another playoff run. Maybe they, they don't uh, win 11 games like they did last year and, and get to the playoffs and, and what have you. But uh, maybe Mac Jones has one of those seasons where all of a sudden people are taking that, uh, that pay cut to go to New England and, and, and make another run at things. So we'll see. Um, but I look forward to having Pat on to preview that uh, Week 7 matchup. Should be an interesting time for, uh, for both teams to see where they are after those first six games. So, so that'll close the book on the Patriots. Now we move on to closing the book on the AFC East in general with last year's first-place finisher in the Buffalo Bills. I'm sure that the conversation will find its way to that divisional game with the Chiefs and the overtime rules and how they were changed for the playoffs uh, going forward, which is the rule change I was in favor of because I think that the rule was fine as it is for the regular season that with the stakes higher uh, and things like that, that the rule should be different for the playoffs. That's that's the way I wanted the rule changed, and that's what the NFL did. So I was actually really happy with how they, with A, that they made the change at all, but B, they made the right change. They didn't change the regular season because that, you want to you want it to be a bit more of a sudden death thing. You know, you, you do want both cha- both teams to get a chance to have the football, but at the same time, you know, get the, get the game over with and, and move on to the next one. You've got more games to play kind of thing. When you're in the playoffs, being in the playoffs is there is no tomorrow for the team that loses, period. So, you know, it doesn't have to be as sudden death uh, as it used to be. I know it probably makes things a little less more exciting, but I think it makes things more fair. Uh, to uh, you know, to the teams that are playing, especially, you know, who knows what would have happened if Buffalo had gotten its hands on the ball. Um, you know, who knows what would have happened to Kansas City if they had to make a choice. Do we kick the extra point? Do we go for two? Uh, and things like that. And that would affect, obviously, what Buffalo needs to do after scoring their own touchdown. So I'm sure that we will talk about that. Dave Myers from Built in Buffalo will be with us to – Uh, preview those 2022 bills and answer all those questions give us his thoughts on what was going through his head at the moment when the rule change was made and so on and uh, we'll talk about everything else uh, in between so be sure to show up on thursday to help us uh, preview the 2022 buffalo bills and until then my name is larry d and this has been bear stock underground Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. 
That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact.